Daniel, I've gotten so much use out of my iPad. It's crazy. <laughs> That's good. I took it with me to Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you take it with you to Ikea? Because we drew out the closet, and then I wrote down all the dimensions, and... I like, so I had all my notes and I was like, well, I got all my notes right here. So I took it with me to put it in my, put it in my Timbuktu, little, my little small one with a tape measure. And so I had my tape measure, had my iPad and we stood there and stood, stared at the clo- closet systems and I pulled out my iPad and I drew the closet system and I was like, okay, we're going to put the shelves here, put the shelves here and this is what we need. Wrote down all the numbers. And then whenever we went to the aisles, I was like, here's where it all, and here's all the numbers had everything, everything perfectly notated. It was easy. It was great. Use the Apple pencil. <laughs> I just love that you have become an iPad power user in in the span of like two weeks. Well, I mean, I spent all that money. Want to get my get yeah, my use out of it? How I can't blame <laughs> you for that. It makes sense. I'm next level, man. I'm using Stage Manager all over the place. <laughs> How did you feel when you were in IKEA with the iPad? Did it feel natural, or did you feel a little self conscious about it? I mean, I was, I was like, this is this is. This is me. You were, I'm you here. were embracing it. Yeah. And I was like, I don't, I don't care what you think. <laughs> Look at how much use I'm getting out of this thing. Oh, man. Yeah, no, I'm Straight full, full, out of an Apple ad. Full confidence. Uh, That's where I was. All right. I think the most <laughs> annoying part was having to open my bag, take it out, undo this flap, undo that flap, flap it around, swipe up, take the pencil, and then start writing. That is quite so a that bit. was a little annoying. Yeah. Usually I'm used to having like a moleskin notebook with me that I can just open up and start writing in. But, you know, this this works too. Maybe you need an iPad mini that you can keep in your pocket. Like a, like a bonus iPad? Yeah, a second iPad. <laughs> an iPad for my iPad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can use Sidecar to use that smaller iPad as a screen for your bigger iPad. I did use Sidecar with my laptop. And I had like some wind, some like chat windows over here, and email over here, and then other stuff over here. That was cool. Sidecar works surprisingly good. Where were you at when you did this? I was at my desk at home. Oh, okay. I wasn't like at a coffee shop. Uh, that's, that's what I was wondering. <laughs> I mean, I could though. Yeah, no one's gonna <laughs> no. stop me. Yeah, not not that you couldn't. I'm still of the mind that I need a vertical screen attachment to use for Sidecar, where instead of mm. setting setting it next to my laptop, it goes above my laptop. Oh. <laughs> that way you don't have to make eye contact with whoever you're sitting across. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, you could you could use the two the two display target thing uh, where you have like a clean feed in Resolve. I can send that clean feed to the iPad. There you go. And I can then my my window for when I'm cutting would be directly above my laptop window. Mm. It'd be perfect. That would be pretty cool. They make some iPad cases that are like they're they're magnet or whatever and they stand up and then like your iPad like goes a whole iPad width higher what? with some sort of weird origami crap. I don't know about that. That doesn't it sound does, very stable. It does not look stable at all. Yeah. But you know, this would be perfect because then I could put it behind my uh behind my laptop. I think you need that thing that Sarah Dietschy made. That she like she has an iPad stand that she made like like she sells a product that is an iPad stand. It's like Lab Twenty Two or something is the brand, and it has a metal uh, a metal stand. And I think that would work for what you want. Yep the the one the one problem I have here is that there's no there's no way to do good text entry on an iPad. I agree with that. That is a problem. It's just it's just bad. Like right now I'm trying to make my keyboard big and it's just not working. Yeah, it looks like things just went away. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to find this. Sarah Dietschy. Well, for one thing, you don't know how to spell her last name. Yeah, no, That's it says problem. Sarah directly. Yes, Sarah directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, iPad stand. Do you ever have the problem where it thinks that you're in pen mode and you're not in pen mode? Mm, no, and then, and then I don't you, think so. You have to like turn off your Bluetooth so that it loses the pen. I would have thought if you put the pen on the side of the iPad, it would solve that. Yeah, no, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes mm. it just gets stuck. It's really, really annoying. Okay, we're going to do this. I need, I got to go into Sidecar, and then, and then I'm ready to go. Let me know when you get all that figured out. I just, it, it, it takes a lot to power use, Daniel. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're back today to talk more about the gear we use for photo and video. I know that we don't do follow-up on the show or corrections. Just as a general rule, we never do follow-up or corrections. But if we did. No, just don't. We're, all, we're never wrong. <laughs> and we never look back. Unrelated to that, there was a previous episode where I mentioned that the log coming off the camera is a linear gamma curve, which is just totally not true. It's a logarithmic curve. That's the whole reason that it's log. Oh. And the sensor is capturing light linearly, but it's the codec they're recording to that gamma is logarithmic. Okay. And I was listening back to the episode and I said that and I was like, boy, that guy doesn't know, he, he know what he's talking about. <laughs> and I just felt like maybe it's worth clearing the air that maybe I, I misspoke 
Or you learn something between now and then. No, no. I just I just I said it wrong. Uh-huh. And I just wanted to make sure that everyone knows that that I said it wrong. That's all. Now you it's not a correction. Now you've cleared the air. Yep. Moving on. <laughs> so one of these topics, the first one here is Lucas's Lightroom workflow with an iPad. Do we just need to rename this the iPad podcast? Oh boy. I have a lot of iPad topics today. Yeah. I have a lot, a lot of going iPad on. topics. A lot going on in iPad. And world. I mean there's so many things that we could talk about. I mean, really we could talk is. about the Lumix S52X. That's yeah. that you know everyone's now talking about that. You know, it's finally finally purchasable. Yep. We could talk about all this this Final Cut Pro stuff. It's pretty pretty big what, deal. What, what's that? But where, where do you want to go from here? Where do you want? Where do you want to get into? Well, I think since we've got that Lightroom thing first on the list, let's start with that, and then we'll get into some of the new iPad stuff. Hold on to your britches. This might take the entire show. Yeah. Have we talked about my photo backup workflow? I don't think we have. All right. So we're just, we're just going to recap a little bit as far as what does my photo workflow look like? And currently what it looks like is I use Lightroom and I have a server at the house. And my thought as far as my photos is there's a master photo library where there is some volume that has all of my photos on it. And like this is the most correct, current, organized version of all of my pictures. And for me, that master photo library lives on my server. And then that server is backed up with Backblaze and all this sort of stuff. I don't want to have to like VPN into my house and that sort of thing in order to access all my photos. I want to be able to like see them everywhere. So I then, you know, uh, use Google Photos to ingest all that stuff so I can access my photos from anywhere. But the master library is on my computer. Now, when you use Lightroom, you can use Lightroom Classic or you can use Lightroom just straight up. It's not even called CC anymore, I guess. And the normal Lightroom version uses Adobe's cloud stuff and you it just starts syncing. Like you you yep. ingest photos into it and it copies them to, you know, Adobe server. Uh, it copies, you know, a thousand pictures and then it goes, you're out of space. Yep. We only give you 20 gigs of space and now we're going to tell you you're out of space over and over and over and over and over until you give us more money. I have that same experience. Yeah, so, you know, that's that's just how it works. And like you can you can tell it to pause, you to pause syncing and then you can have a pause syncing indefinitely, but then you have this little like pausing in the corner. It's super annoying. But the point is, your master photo library, like your prime, this is my photos, is on Adobe server, mm-hmm. not on yours. If you, Which you if, do not like. No, I don't want that. I want to own the, the main the main deal, real copy, this is my photo library. And so I use Lightroom Classic, which is a means of managing your photos on local drives. And so what I do is I use Lightroom Classic uh, to manage all my photos, and half of my photos are on my computer. And half of them are on an external drive. And whenever I have the external drive plugged in, I can see all of my photos in Lightroom. And I can move them from my computer to my external drive inside Lightroom. Okay. If you have a folder that's like, this is 2011, and it's on your internal drive, and you have a folder that's like, this is 2011, on your external drive, and they have the exact same pictures in them, if you try to import both of those folders, it will only show you one. It'll only import one into Lightroom. And so I, like, I learned that, and that like I had duplicates on my computer hand on the drive mm-hmm. at one point in time and it's like oh you're not really seeing those and so then it was it was like which ones aren't in my photo library that sounds like a mess it was just a whole thing and the reason i'm using lightroom to manage all this is because i have all these raws and i want to be able to do a bunch of edits in the raws but i don't want to lose my edits that's a lot of invested time is editing in the raw similar to sugar in the raw it's actually exactly the yeah. same <laughs> so I want to like preserve all the Lightroom stuff, which is why I'm like moving the photos using Lightroom. So as it moves from my computer to um, this external drive, they're they're all the same photo, right? And then I'm R-syncing all that stuff up to the server periodically. And so like, even though the server is like, this is my master library, that's not the one that uh, Lightroom is looking at, but I can bring everything down and then open up Lightroom and it'll see it and just restore those links. And then I'm backing up my Lightroom library to my server as well. Whoo! So... What if I wanted to edit mobily? I got this whole sweet new iPad situation happening. There's no there's no Lightroom Classic for iPad. Yeah. You just have to use regular Lightroom. How much sleep did you lose before you figured this out? This was like a key part of my purchasing decision. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, like this kept you up at night. If I can't if I can't solve this, no iPad for Lucas. I don't know if my solution's very good. <laughs> <laughs> Still not sure if you solved it. We're figuring it out. So you can use you can generate smart previews. With huge, huge scare quotes right here. You can't you can't see it, but I'm like scare quote, yeah. I'm like crazy. And smart previews do not count towards your Adobe cloud space. And so what I do is I have collections, also in scare quotes, which are like glorified 
photo albums. Mm-hmm. And I'll like, if I say I, I, I shoot up, so I go to like a rodeo. I'm like, here's all my sweet rodeo picks of people riding on horses. That's the name of the collection. Sweet rodeo picks. With the year. It'd be like sweet rodeo picks. Oh, five. Yeah. You got to be able to narrow it down from yeah. all the other sweet rodeo picks. <laughs> exactly. I, I like, I want to be able to reuse that name. Yeah. So throwing into my sweet rodeo picks. Oh, five, 2023. I can be around 23.05. Yeah. We're not, even, we're not even just going year. You've got to narrow it down by the month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And actually that would be first. It would be 2023.05 sweet rodeo picks okay uh so i copy those into this collection the smart uh, whatever smart bin collection thing and then it'll just upload the smart previews doesn't count towards my 20 gigs of space i can then open them up on my ipad the smart previews are pretty good resolution like you can zoom in you can edit them just like you would raw files it works pretty stinking good it doesn't count towards your space and then all of your edits Mm -hmm. sync between lightroom classic and lightroom regular on mobile i mean this kind of sounds like proxy files with video right like like the smart preview is not just a thumbnail it's like you can actually make edits on that picture and then those apply when you have the original exactly and it is in usually it's in like their dng whatever but it maintains like the camera profile information so like if you're used to using fuji images in lightroom you can change your film simulation and it it approximates the film simulation it's not exactly the same but and you can still do that with the smart previews and it works exactly like you're dealing with raws and you you get all the latitude of a raw file. Cool. Uh, but it's just smaller. So I that's like one workflow is, okay, I've copied them onto my computer. I made an album, toss them into this thing. Now I can go edit them on my iPad. The edits will copy over and, and there we go. We're in the workflow. So one of the things I want to be able to do is be on a trip and then copy the pictures to my iPad and edit them. Sure. And now how do I sync those edits mm-hmm. back to... Lightroom classic. Yeah. That seems like the the critical problem, right? Because you that's that's the main use case. Like you have the iPad on a trip, you want to be able to go through your pictures. What do you do? Okay. So what you do is you load them in the Lightroom, you let Lightroom sync the pictures, and then you go into Lightroom Classic, and then it will sync down those photos, and then you can select them all and download them into your library. Mm. And once you do that, it will put them on your local drive in the folder that you set up. Because like in the left column of Lightroom Classic, it's like, here's the year, here's the month, or however your folder structure is. You can grab those puppies and say, save them here. And it will download the RAW and the JPEG of those files for the full resolution into, onto, your, onto your drive on your computer. After you've done that, you can just you can delete them out of Adobe's cloud because now you have like them have the main version and it's it's like syncing the changes. And so my process is like get them all onto the iPad and then they'll eventually sync to classic. And then my workflow is when I get back to my computer, pull everything down and then clear it off the cloud. So I'm not having mm. to deal with multiple versions. Okay. The whole clearing it off the cloud thing was a little annoying because say you have like 20 gigs of storage, you have to delete it and then you have to delete it out of the recently deleted ah. because recently deleted still counts storage no, or storage done. limit. Yeah. And so that was really annoying because I was trying to figure out how to clear out like three gigs of pictures when I was testing all this. But that's it. That's the workflow. I don't love the fact that I'm not copying from original source to my computer, that I'm copying from original source to my iPad to Adobe server to my computer. Yeah. And then that's going to copy to the server. That's a lot of copies. And I don't know know who's running checksums. You're going to get some serious JPEG compression going uh, on there. Yeah. So I'm a little little panicky about that. But, but. What I could do is I could, when I get back to my computer, I've downloaded everything and synced, sunked it. I could close Lightroom and then I could swap the files out on the drive <laughs> <laughs> with the real files and then no one would be the wiser. What, what I was going to say, even before you said that, was that the one thing I don't like about this idea is that it feels like you have a lot of manual steps. Like, it, it, you know, if you want to get all these pictures in, it's like you've got to operate this whole process and you have to do it in the right order and you got to get everything right. And I feel like that's concerning. It's not great. But I can't think of another way to do it. Yeah. And this is this is the way or this whatever. This is the way, as, <laughs> as some have said. So that's it. That's my workflow. If I want to ingest photos into Lightroom while not around my computer. But the other way is just I'm going to I'm gonna import them on my computer, make a smart collection, and then I'll edit on my iPad later. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it, it, really the only time you need to do this is if you're on the trip and you want to edit the pictures as you go. Exactly. So that's it. That is the mm-hmm. that's the whole workflow. I guess the other option would be I could have put them on my external drive, on my photo drive, which mm-hmm. I will have with me, and then they're already in the location and then I could deal with them on the iPad, but I don't think that if I did that then I plugged in the computer it would recognize uh, that those are the same pictures. I haven't tested that out yet. Maybe you should try that. Yeah, maybe I should. Anyway, that is my iPad photo workflow. It is just as complicated as the rest of your photo workflow. <laughs> But Daniel, everything's backed up. It's all, I got all my edits saved. 
I had it all sorted out. It's perfect. If you say so. I mean, I, I tell you, like, I'm like, well, you know, obviously, like, I'm doing this wrong. Like, this is not, this is not how one is supposed to work with their photos. And so, I'm like, what do other people do? And I, you know, you look up people on YouTube, you search the internet, you read Reddit forums, you ask your photography friends. And what I've learned is that every other photographer is just horrifyingly bad at managing yeah, their I photo mean, files. People just, people just shoot from the hip. They're not backing anything up. Oh my gosh. Just... They're like, I don't know. I guess like I have a drive and then maybe everything's in the cloud and I just, you know, drive, yeah. dump my things into this folder. I'm like, Imagine, what? Imagine how low stress that life would be no i can't i would <laughs> i would i would wake i would just wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night and be like oh is that photo backed up i wouldn't know i wouldn't know. I'm like where is it <laughs> yeah i can't I, I just i don't know i need to find someone who is, is as manic about it as i am and then they can explain to me their workflow and what i'll find out is that my workflow isn't complicated enough <laughs> there's more steps that can be had well if you're listening to this show and that is you, please tweet us at Camera Gear Pod. I mean, so we, didn't, tell us. we didn't even get into the part that I, I got to bring in photos from multiple cameras. Like I'm taking pictures with my phone. How is my phone pictures getting in, getting into the, the prime library? I mean, sure, they're uploading to like Google Photos. But that's not the prime that's library. Not the main, that's not the main library. How are they getting in the main library? I copy them with, with OneDrive. Everything uploads to OneDrive and Google Photos. And then from the OneDrive folder, I run uh, an automator script and then it moves them into the subsequent folders uh, in my on my photo, photo folder, you know, sorted by year, by month. And then they're just there. And then whenever I run my photo back, back up, it will rsync them to the server. And then there we go. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's just whenever, that simple. And then whenever I open up Lightroom, it's just gonna, I'm just going to sync those folders again and it'll be there. Just yeah, that, easy, that easy. Easy. Yep. You only mm-hmm. use three services and yeah. all these scripts to sure. do it. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know what the problem is, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> so the point is, I've been using my using the iPad to edit photos. And it uh, it works pretty good. And do you like the actual editing experience? I mean, that's the whole reason I'm jumping through all these hoops. Yeah, uh, so I, you do. Yeah, yeah, I borrowed an iPad to try this out before I bought one, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Wow, editing this on the iPad is kind of good because you can just like get as close to your face as you want with yeah, that screen, yeah, two just inches re- away. Really get in there and just mm-hmm. like pinch and zoom, mm-hmm. and like to move all the dials with your fingers. It's pretty good. And the screen's good. Mm-hmm. The screen's good. It looks. Good. I mean, I en- I enjoyed it. I, yeah. It's it just it feels more tactile. Mm-hmm. Like you're like you just reach over and you just pinch the zoom yeah. and like crop with your finger. I don't know. I like it. It's I like kinda, editing on the iPad. It's kind of hard to describe. Like like if you think about just pure technical ability, it's not like doing it with a touchscreen is necessarily any better than using like a mouse. Like right. people are really fast with mouse and keyboard, but it does it just feels different. That's kind of been my experience this whole time since I got my new iPad, which was like you know first iPad in ten years or whatever. Is I am slower with the iPad to do everything. Yeah. It's I like agree. I can do things on the computer, you know, somewhere between a 50% to a hundred percent faster, but I still keep doing that on the iPad. Cause it's like, it's easier and it's more relaxed. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I'm like sitting down to do this thing. It's like, I'm just going to edit a few photos. Cause yeah. like I have five minutes. I have this right here. I just like open it up and like, boop, 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 boop. and I don't know. I, I kind of like, I like that casual approach to some of this work, uh, which, you know, is a pretty good transition to uh, my new uh, my new YouTube channel. <laughs> since, you, <laughs> since you gave us that masterful segue, <laughs> tell me more. Uh, so I've started a gardening YouTube channel. <laughs> I don't, In all the free time you have. I don't know anything about gardening. <laughs> None. What I'm learning, because my partner does garden. And so I'm using this as an opportunity to take my interests in videography and then learn about her interests sure. in gardening. That so makes like, sense. You know, that's great. And also, I want to edit video on my iPad. And so I'm like, do, I'm doing these vlogs and I'm editing them 100% on, on my, my M2 iPad Pro. Real simple. This isn't, I'm not like, all right, I'm going to become a, you know, hot new stuff garden channel on the YouTubes. I'm really mostly just doing this. Like, it's something that I enjoy doing. I don't really want people to go out and find this channel, which is why I'm not going to like link it or anything. I haven't even told you the name of my yeah, channel. I, I haven't and you seen can't any find of the videos. It. Yep. You know, so maybe, maybe, maybe you will one day. Who knows? I don't know. So I'm like, you know, one, one shot, you know, doing this, the quick thing. I'll, I'll film for six minutes and I'll cut it together and it'll be like a three to five minute vlog easy and honestly it's like it's a garden thing and so i can just go outside at golden hour and like position my my face between the camera and the sun and get like gorgeous backlighting <laughs> and like i got the cinnabloom on there and i'm like 
easy. <laughs> and yeah, but like what I wanted to talk about was editing on the iPad with DaVinci Resolve and like just like dealing with, you know, bringing in the footage and using like it only gives you the cut and the color tabs. And I was really frustrating for a while in using like the color tab on the iPad because I couldn't figure out like how to hide the clips thing. And they had moved it from like the top right to the top left and all this sort of thing. And there's certain things that just are, are gone. Like the uh, if you're looking to do uh, denoising, you have to apply that as an effect and it's not in like the group of controls down at the bottom on the color tab anymore. Oh, okay. And there's just some things that have been really frustrating. So like I did, uh, what did I do? I opened up this project on my computer and I linked the clips, like the two clips. And now oh, this was a different project, but still I linked two video clips and an audio clip together so that I could run through it. And whenever I hit command B to cut, it would cut everything. And then I went on to my iPad to like kind of finish cutting through some of the stuff and I couldn't unlink them in the cut tab. I had linked them in the edit tab. And so there's there no way to undo oh. it because it's not a function of cut. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, I'm stuck. I have to either like get out my keyboard and mm-hmm. like do the trick to like bring the edit tab into view and then undo this thing or like open up on my computer. So that was kind of frustrating. That, that feels like a very specific version of a general problem with the uh, Resolve iPad version, which is that like not having the edit tab makes it really challenging to edit a project between the computer and the iPad because at least on the stuff we've done, if you're doing something like multicam, it feels like the way you do that on the edit tab is different than the way you do it on the cut tab. And so if you start a project on the computer, you might be used to using the edit tab. And so you do it in there, but then you kind of lose the ability to go in and do anything meaningful on the cut tab. And that's a little bit annoying. Yeah, for sure. It's like you just can't really move between the two unless you understand all the little differences. Yeah. It, you can on the iPad go in and like set your command, your keyboard shortcuts to open up the other tabs. Mm-hmm. That still works. Mm-hmm. And on the fourth vlog that I did, I did that because I got a new microphone. Uh, I got the Deity Duo V4. So, because, because I mean, I'm doing all this vlogging now. Yeah. And that's the one that has a mic on the front and the back. Yeah. And that's and why I assume that's why you got that's it. That's exactly why, because I'm like pointing the, the, camera at a bell pepper plant or a calendula and you want want that plant to be able to talk back to you well so you need a mic pointing in its direction exactly but i also need to say something yeah and then i need to flip that puppy around to the real star of the show (laughs) 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 and have it also hear me clearly so you know i can do both directions but the dd mic brings things in stereo and i can't figure out in the cut tab how to make convert stereo into audio and so that's annoying like the last version i you know snuck into fairlight and just goofed around with it and got that got that set there probably is a way to on the cut tab i can probably go into audio and like say convert to mono maybe it'll just work i can't really tell if it's stereo mono mono with the ipad speakers i probably should just put in headphones because that would be such that, a filthy, that would have been easy such a filthy casual oh my <laughs> I'm, gosh i'm telling you i'm like you're editing with the ipad speakers come on dude this is like the most low energy like <laughs> vlog editing it's so nice i yeah. just like bring it in i'm like cutting do a little bit of color grading it just scratches the edge daniel so one one thing i'll say (laughs) this is a little bit of an aside kind of related i guess but like what i know from when i used to do a youtube channel is that if you are not in the camera space making videos about camera stuff the production value just matters so little compared to what you're actually talking about and actually releasing videos and making videos and it was always so frustrating to me because i am into this stuff and i wanted to make good high quality videos but it's slow and you know you you can't keep up with people that are just shooting from the hip you know like getting it done as quick as they can not caring about color grading or anything and so the way you're doing your channel with this is actually like i think for most people the way you should approach youtube especially at first where it's like don't get held up with like trying to make the perfect video like just get stuff done and and you're kind of seeing that it's fun to do it that way because you just don't really have to care that much and like it doesn't all have to be perfect and you don't have to have all these crazy effects on it and spend like hours color grading it like it can just be really simple and if you misspeak it's fine like it just leave it all in yeah and so like it's probably very different than what you've done before because most of the projects we've done it's like you want it to be good but that's really i think where most people should be that's how most people should be approaching youtube i think keeping it off the computer has helped me keep it simple i think you're right because you just can't like like you don't, you don't want to spend six hours on the ipad editing right so like no. it kind of forces you to do that yeah it's just easy i mean we we have talked a little bit about this Asus Colorspace Transform F-Log 2 video that I'm working on, and I have done four garden vlogs in the time that I still haven't finished that Asus video. That was what happened to me when I was doing the FPV channel. It was like, I would make this really, really good video, 
the people I was competing against in the sense of like trying to grow my channel and stuff, like they would release six videos in that time. Uh-huh. And that's what people want. Like if people are watching your channel because they like what you're talking about, they just want to see more. And they don't, I mean, if you can make it good, that's great. But like, they just want to see more. And so the doing, first is real, Daniel. Yeah. And doing it that way is like lower stress for you. It's less time for you and you're getting all of the benefits. So like if your goal is to grow, that's the way to do it. Yep. I mean, I'm not trying to grow this garden channel. This you're, is this is like for my mom. But. You're, you're trying to grow bell peppers. Uh, yeah, not, exactly. Not exactly. A YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, ta- tomatillos. <laughs> <laughs> or as I recently said, tomatillos. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I kind of want to get to, I guess, uh, a few of the things that I've noted in doing this. And like the way I'm doing this is I'm copying from CF Express onto my iPad directly. I can't plug my XH2S into my iPad and copy the footage off. So that's kind of annoying. Yeah, that's a shame. I have to have the card reader. Do you know why that is? Like, does it uh, just you, not you can't up? even you can't even do it on on a computer. You have to use image capture. Uh, oh, that's a good point. Okay. Which you know, FYI, a whole the Fuji thing, which like I think Fuji has to fix this in firmware. But it used to be that you couldn't record a clip longer than four point two nine gigabytes on a Fuji camera without it cutting into two clips because of um, not thirty two bit, but bit length basically. Yeah. Right. File size fat uh, thirty two. Yeah. yeah, it is basically thirty two. Fat thirty. Fat thirty two. Yeah, and then XFAT you can. So it's like, it's the, it's the anyways, whatever. Two to the 32 power. They fixed it. And so now you can record videos longer than 4.29 gigabytes. But the fix is like not totally fixed because if you have an 11 gig file and you import it using image capture on a Mac computer, not Windows, if you can do it on a Mac, it only imports the first 4.29 gigs of it and doesn't do the rest. And so like you have to use you yeah. know, Express, like you have to use a card reader to copy. Super frustrating. Anyways, iPad, not even an option to do image capture. You just got to use a card reader. Right. Okay. So copy it all with a card reader, copy it onto, and and for this, I'm using like lower, lower res stuff too. I'm not mm. shooting like three, 360 megabits per second. I'm shooting like, I'm shooting 4K at like 100. Oh man, that was like I, Sony levels. Oh jeez, it hurt. I was like, <laughs> maybe I should just do 200 anyways. <laughs> maybe I should just use 720 all eye anyway. <laughs> like, it'll look better. <laughs> maybe I am doing 200. I don't know. I'm shooting for 100, right? I, just, I, I was like, I could go down to 50, but I'm not a monster. And so, you know, importing it in, bringing it in on, and like using the files app and like managing the files that way and bringing like all local. The first one that I did, I was like, I'm feeling, I'm feeling dangerous. Let's throw some denoise and a vignette on this color grade. And then uh, the project would crash. Every uh-huh. time like I opened it up and it started to like smart render the denoising, it would crash. And so I had to copy the project from my local library to my DaVinci Cloud library, open it up on my computer and finish it there for the first one. All the other ones I was able to do all completely on the iPad. Did you, did you do the denoising and stuff on those too? I did, but okay. it's it's just not worth it. I am still well, recording. Well, but I, I was just trying to figure out what the bug. Like it's not, it's not like it never works. It just didn't work in that one case. It didn't work on that one. And then I did not denoise two and three. I, see. I did denoise four and it took 20 minutes to export instead of one, like two minutes to export. Oh, like, like on the... Com- on the iPad. Okay. On the M2 iPad Pro. So it was like, it's not really worth denoising yeah. for these little things. Vlog 2 is pretty noisy, honestly. It's like, I shouldn't even, I shouldn't be shooting these in Vlog 2. I should shoot them in like one or Eterna. Yeah, you should be shooting these in Eterna, but man. man, I just, I want all that dynamic range. If you're, if you're shooting just, a golden hour though, I can see why you would do that because you really want the dynamic range. Yep. And like, you know, I'm kind of getting more experience like working with those Fuji files and that sort of thing. And it's like, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to be made, like burning through vlogs and like practicing color grading quickly and that sort of stuff, like, let's work in that vlog, do. That's true. And plus, I mean, one of the two tabs you get is that color tab, so you got to make use of it, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, anyways, point is, there seems to be some sort of bug, and I don't know what triggered it for one, not the other, where Denoise started crashing it. But, like, I could move it to the cloud and cop- I could copy the files. Yeah, to- anyways. you had a way around it. So, like, you can fix it on a computer if you start running into that problem, but, like, watch out. Some of the effects that they, that are available to you on the iPad may not, like, because of RAM or file size, or, and that might be the difference, is the first one I had bigger files, because I usually shoot 4K in larger file size, um, and so I, I dropped the file size for two through four. Mm-hmm. Probably had to do with file size and and like RAM swap and that sort of stuff. Anyways, so watch out for that. And I mean, in all fairness to them, I think the iPad version is actually still classified as a beta. Yeah, I guess so. And so like they're they're working on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's going to get better. So other thing, there's no way to like drop in a blank title in the cut tab. Hmm. I, I wanted to do a like I reached up to like turn the camera off. And so I wanted to do like a digital transition to black. And then have it go out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I just need to throw a black title card in there. And I'll do a transition from this video to the black title card. Boom, done. Couldn't do it. 
there's no way to add a black title card. Like, it's not in the effects panel of, like, huh. generators and stuff. That's surprising. Yeah, and so, like, I couldn't figure out a way to do it on the iPad. I had to, like, do it on a computer, so that was really annoying. I guess you're going to have to make a... Just add a add an image to your iPad. It's like a black image, and then you can drop mm-hmm. that in. Yeah, that's, I mean that's exactly what you'd have to do. Yeah, I guess I didn't do it on iPad. I I, I opened up the Edit tab using the sneaky method, and then dropped one in and did it that mm. way for the last one. Anyways, and then the one before that, I just I just like well, I guess this is how it's going to be. <laughs> And I didn't do anything because I'm trying to do all this on the iPad. Yeah. Because well, I'm, I'm like a masochist. It sounds like that's generally working out for you, though. It, it is. I think it is. I, I'm enjoying doing it. I already talked about the separating audio thing with the DD mic. Um, I still haven't figured out a solution to that one. The noise reduction and like leaving the app open and running all that stuff, it, still takes, it takes a while. If you've edited on an M1 or an M2 not pro, a lot of those like per frame stuff happen very slowly. Yeah. We're talking usually a half a frame per second to render. And so think about like, okay, this is 24 frames per second. It's going to take 48 seconds for every second of video. Yeah, that's that's really slow. Yeah. So like it's real, like even with the M2, doing any sort of like denoising or any like per frame stuff of um, like a sharpening, stuff like that mm-hmm. is going to take forever to render out. One thing that I'm interested in is I know with Resolve on the computer for a long time have had support for doing like a server type thing where you can have a render server that's separate from your editing computer. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if they currently or if they plan to support that with the iPad where like you could do all your editing on the iPad, but then like without you having to like sync a project or go to the other machine and do it if like you could have your laptop on the network and then just like click a button and have it render on there instead of rendering on your ipad that would be amazing yeah and i love that they should look into it because they already support that on the computer i mean i've thought about like building a pc and Mm -hmm. stacking with gpus just to do rendering yeah and so like if that's supported on the ipad then that would solve that problem. And and if it's not today, then maybe that's coming. Yeah, that would be really cool. That kind of brings me to the export thing of you don't get access to that like launch export tab. You have to just basically you share from the cut page. I remember that. It's, it seemed very iOS-like, yeah. but I was kind of disappointed at how few settings are working. There's no settings. You can do like H.265 or H.264 mm-hmm. and that's it. And like you don't get a pick and you don't get a like render out multiple versions and like the the export tab in resolve is so good and like you have so much leeway and options and frame.io and you know you can straight send it to youtube anyways it's, it's great and with the ipad version it's like share i don't know it's, yeah. it's so it's it's overly simplified i mean that's the case for all of it though i mean like they're they don't have the Fairlight tab mm-hmm. they don't have the edit tab like it's clearly a very simple version of yeah resolve. but it's like it's all there the edit tab is there and works. Mm-hmm. If you use the keyboard shortcut to open up the edit tab on your iPad, you, you can like it, it totally works. I and that's what I did for the last one. It's like I opened it up and did a full export, no problems. I think they just haven't tested it sufficiently. Like that's probably why it's not enabled. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of it is they don't have all the touch support stuff there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have the pen with the hover and like, but it's still like a mouse type yeah. interface and I, they, they haven't finished kind of mm-hmm. massaging it. I think that's encouraging though. The fact that you can get to those things and that they mostly work, like that tells me that they are mm-hmm. going to make it work eventually. Oh yeah. And like, I'm super pumped about the full feature version of this that will eventually exist for iPad because that's going to be incredible. Yeah. Okay. okay. One one more thing, and that is uh, there's no light box on the iPad version. And so, like, what I've gotten really used to, the color grading workflow of grab all these clips, put them in a group, and then I edit for the group. You Doing doing it in Lightbox is really easy because, like, you go to the top right corner of the color tab, you hit Lightbox, and then you get this grid view of all your clips, and you can be like, that one, 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 right-click, add to group. And it's really, really quick. On the iPad, I think you have to, like, do it per clip in, like, the clip view in the color tab, and it's just not as functional. And so it's kind of frustrating to see that piece gone, and there's not really a way to bring it back. Yeah, that's a shame. At least that I could tell. Okay, that's it. That's editing on the iPad in DaVinci Resolve. It's been a wild (laughs) ride. (laughs) Sounds like you've learned a lot. I mean, uh, and it looks like a challenger approaches. Indeed, a challenger does approach. Tell me about it. We're really making this the iPad show today, aren't we? (laughs) I can't. It's a lot. It's a lot. It really is. So this actually happened this morning as we record this, and it was a complete surprise to everybody, I think. So, you know, for a long time, we've talked about how it'd be great if Final Cut Pro was on the iPad. And it didn't make sense that it wasn't because Apple makes Final Cut Pro. They've had it on Mac for a long time. They make iMovie for the iPad, but they don't make Final Cut Pro. And then Resolve beat them to the punch last fall by releasing Resolve for the iPad. And so 
It's like, where's Final Cut Pro? Why is it not on the iPad? And that changed this morning because they announced Final Cut Pro for the iPad. I was shocked by this because to me, it feels like Apple doesn't even care about Final Cut Pro anymore. I don't know. I mean, that's not that's not really true. And they do update it. And I just maybe it's, it has it's been six months since yeah. I've really messed with it. But I mean, it feels like they've lagged so much behind the industry with how fast Resolve is moving forward. I was honestly surprised that this came out. Yeah, I was, I was like, is this ever going to happen? I'm like looking up rumors and stuff. And it seemed like this was more of a like a late 2024 thing. Suddenly it's like May 23rd, I think, is when it's coming out. Yeah, like it's very soon. It's free with your current purchase, right? <laughs> if only. So that's the weird part about this is but, that... But it's a one-time purchase, just like the normal desktop version. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's a subscription, which not super happy about that. They got to get that service yeah. revenue up. Yeah, I guess. The desktop version of Final Cut Pro is $300 one-time cost. Yep. And this one is $5 a month or $50 a year. I don't know what's going on with that. I don't know if that means they're going to make the desktop version a paid thing. I started out with this with a, with a very poor impression of that. And I will say that I've kind of softened on it a little bit because $5 a month is $60 a year. And that basically means that like it's going to take five years to equal the price of that $300 one time mm-hmm. on the computer. And, you know, you can have one argument of like, should it cost the same as the computer version? And maybe not. But $5 a month for software on the caliber of Final Cut Pro is not that unreasonable. I would tend to agree. I don't I don't think the pricing is insane, especially when you put it in the context of, you know, how much is a license. And like I bought my Final Cut license. Oh, geez. In 2016. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So it's been six years, seven years since Mm -hmm. I bought that license. I've definitely gotten my money out of it because I bought the student version. (laughs) Here's the problem for these companies, though, is that there's a limited number of people in the world. that are going to use something like Final Mm -hmm. Cut Pro. And once you've sold to those people. You know, where where are you getting more money from them? How from? are you continuously improving it if it's just a one-time purchase yeah. for everybody? And, you know, and, and I'm sure their argument on the computer has been, well, those people buy really expensive computers, you know, to, to sure. support that. And so, like, that's where they're getting some of the benefit. But I guess what I'm saying is I, I'm hoping that because this is a subscription, it should encourage them and incentivize them to keep improving it because they have to keep proving that value to users. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a benefit. And I also think for a lot of people and businesses, $5 a month is a lot easier to stomach than a one-time $300 purchase. I, I absolutely agree with that. And honestly, if I was still in the Final Cut world, I'd do it. Yeah. I'm probably going to like, I'm going to get the trial on this and check yeah. it out. Yeah, you do get it. There is a one-month trial, so you can try it out for free. Like, I'm real familiar with the way of, of Final Cut. Mm-hmm. And if this is optimized to work really well on the iPad, I mean, I'd consider, you yeah, know. It might be good for that vlog. You know? Yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. going to try it out for the, I'll try it out yeah. a few videos on it with the vlog. Yeah, and, and the software itself looks interesting. So let's talk about that a little bit too. Yeah, hit me with it. One thing that really stood out to me when I when I saw this announcement is that they have some AI features that they're talking about. And you know, AI is like the new buzzword, but they had some stuff that stood out where they've got scene removal things that sounded a lot like what we've been like talking about. Like Magic Mask. Like Magic Mask and Resolve. They talked about some like auto cropping things to get like your vertical cut for social media, which is something that Premiere uh, has had for right, a while. That's a Premiere feature. And no. then there's also a vocal I- isolation. So, you know, Resolve has the voice isolation that we've talked Mm -hmm, about on this show mm -hmm. that we think is really good. And it's often felt like Apple has really lagged behind on some of that stuff. And especially in Final Cut Pro, it's been really in Final Cut Pro on the desktop. It's been really conspicuous that it doesn't have those things because it's felt like they're really behind compared to, you know, the competitors compared to Premiere and Resolve. And so when I saw this on the iPad, it kind of made me wonder if that's why Final Cut has kind of felt like it's lagging behind. And if that team has just really been focusing on getting this iPad version out and sure. I mean, they should be doing this in some way where they have like a shared code base between the two. And so hopefully seeing this stuff on the iPad means that it'll come to the desktop at some point. But I guess I was encouraged to see that they have like some modern features, like things that we've been seeing recently from other companies. Like that's good to see. I'm really curious to see what this means for Final Cut on the computer and if they're going to announce something really cool at WWDC, you know, and if, if, if they're going to say, okay, these features are also coming to the computer and then like maybe they'll make a way for it to sync the libraries and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. This could be really cool and really big. It also makes you think that if you're supporting a multi-device workflow, that's not that big of a leap to a multi-user workflow. One, one would think, but also there's not multi-user support on iPads yet. Well, yeah, but but what I mean is like, when I say multi-user, I mean like you and me collaborating on a project. I know, I know you are. Yeah. I just, 
I, I would hope. I mean, that yeah. would be that'd be great. That I don't be. think it would make me switch back. No, I don't think I would switch back. But I mean, like, I want to see Final Cut continue to be a contender. I, mm-hmm. I still like the software. And I mean, ultimately, like the competition's good, right? Like, you know, like if they're a strong competition, that's going to make Resolve and Premiere better. And that helps all of us. What appeals to me a lot about the idea of an iPad version of Final Cut is Apple really, really cares about the user experience for touch interface and their software. And they won't do it if they can't do it right. And it makes me think that the way that the timeline works and the hover, like the hover with the pencil over the timeline and on the scrubbing and all this stuff, I feel like this is going to feel much more complete and very touch interface focused compared to the DaVinci Resolve version, which the Resolve version is fine. I'm not complaining about it at all uh, when you're using the two tabs that they they give to you and not the the ones that they didn't. But I feel like this is going to feel more complete. Yeah. And there were a couple of specific examples of that. So one is that it has some sort of, I, I can't remember what the term they use, like digital jog wheel or something. Yeah. They have some type of like UI element that's specifically for like scrubbing through footage or something. Mm-hmm. So they've clearly thought a little bit about that. Another cool thing is that you can use the pencil to write text, you know, on your video if you want to do like a title or something. And it can actually just animate that. I was going to say, I would yeah. love it if it could animate it. Yeah, it, it can do that. Amazing. So, stuff like that is, like you said, is encouraging. And I do think that of all companies, Apple's the one that will come up with cool ways to use it and ways that make it feel worth using on an iPad. Yep. This is great. Yeah. Kind of kind of excited to see. It would be neat to see if like, you know, maybe the version on the on the laptop, you have Sidecar. And like, if you have Sidecar, you can use your Apple Pencil to interface directly on the iPad oh, to your yeah. computer. Like I did this in, like Teams has a whiteboard thing. And like I hit whiteboard. Grab my iPad and just start a drawing. Totally works. That's cool. And so, like, maybe you have your computer into it, your hot computer is running your M2 Max or whatever, and you want to do this like righty thing in Final Cut. If you could sidecar to your iPad and do it, sick. What I'm excited about is that this requires the M1 or newer. Yep. Which means most newer iPad Pros. And right, I think because one, the M1 enables swap, basically. Yeah. Everything else is RAM restricted. Now, I think there's another, I think there's a non pro iPad that has the M1. Not yet. Are you sure? I thought the newest iPad Air had. It. Mm, I, I, I just I just checked this and I think okay. they're still on the 8.6 A16 Bionic. Okay. Well, even if it's just the pros, what I like about this is that I feel like it's going to make a good editing software more accessible to more people because there are people that are willing to buy an iPad, but they don't want to buy a computer that you would need to run Final Cut. Yep. For whatever reason, either they don't want to spend the money on it or it's just they're an iPad person, not a laptop person, whatever. And I think that Final Cut is so much of a better software than your other mobile editing, video editing solutions that I think this is great and I think it'll get more people into video editing. Apple really wants people to use their iPhones to shoot video. And we've said it before on this on this podcast of like, you know, you use the camera you have with you. iPhone takes really good video, really good photos. And like, if you just need to shoot some video, like grab your iPhone and use like, yeah. it's going to be good. And they have the way that like the iPhone shoots HDR is kind of like goofy and they but they've added like you know cinematic mode and all this sort of stuff and you have the option with a I think it's a 13 Pro and newer if you shoot in cinematic mode you can adjust the fake depth of field garbage in Final Cut and like deal with those files in that way yep. and so now it's like well I have the iPad here and maybe I shot an HDR on the iPad or I shot it with my iPhone and then like easily bringing it in it just makes all that more accessible to people who want to be able to mess with the stuff that they're shooting on their iPhone without having to like you know, okay, I have my computer and I paid $300 yeah. for the software and blah, blah, blah. Well, now it's just right there. It's five bucks a month. Yeah. They're doing the edits for their mm-hmm. stuff they shot on their iPhone. Yeah, I think it's great. Did you catch the pro camera thing? No. So one of the features they mentioned that I was not excited about until I saw somebody comment on a specific part of it. They they call it like pro camera or something, but basically you can use the camera on your iPad to film stuff and then pull it into Final Cut. Sure. Which the iPad Pros do have pretty good cameras. Mm-hmm. They've, got all, so. they've got all the the LiDAR stuff and all that. I still don't think I can bring myself to hold an iPad up and film anything. No. Like ima- imagine you out at your garden with your iPad filming. Like I I don't know if you can do nope. it. No, nope. I won't even I won't even shoot an F-Log one. Yeah. But the pro camera feature lets you do things like manually set the white balance, manually set exposure, and manually uh... set focus. And so the fact that they're allowing that on the iPad is making people wonder if like the upcoming iPhone Pros might also allow that. One could only dream. Yeah. That's that's like an upgrade worthy feature to me. Yeah. So it's a shame my next my next phone's a Pixel Fold. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Indeed, that's being announced tomorrow. Yeah. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. Watch out. Yeah. But 
Anyway, so that was kind of a, an interesting little aside. But yeah, overall, really excited about that. Um, we should also mention that Logic Pro is is also coming to the iPad. Yeah, that, that was a big one for you because yeah. you edit in Logic. Yeah, so I edit this podcast in Logic. I like Logic a lot. I've used it for a long time, know my way around it. And it sounds like that's also coming to the iPad. And that one you can do down to an A12 Bionic or newer. So that yeah. one's not restricted to the M1. So you don't have the RAM mm-hmm. problem. Yeah, it's a, it's a simpler software. You know, it's not as demanding audio editing. It's just not as demanding as video. But that's going to be really nice. Because for me, I've edited one episode of this show on my iPad using... Man, what was that software called? Uh, we'll have to put it in the show notes. I can't remember what I used to do it, but I, I bought a, a program for like 30 bucks that works pretty well, and I edited a show on the iPad. The problem I ran into with that is that I've got a Logic project set up that I use to do this that already has all the plugins and stuff set the way I want, and so I have everything you know all kind of configured the way I like it, and so it was like I had to pull in our audio files and run them through those plugins and export it and then put that on the iPad and edit on the iPad, which if I have to do that, that's fine. But the problem is that, you know, these are two completely separate programs. And so once I start editing a project and start cutting the the audio up, you know, I can't really switch back and forth between them. I can't switch those project files. And so it was like I had to commit to whether I was going to edit the whole thing on the computer or the whole thing on the iPad. And like we were saying earlier, I still feel like I'm faster on the computer than I am on the iPad for most tasks. That doesn't mean I don't sometimes want to use the iPad to do those things, you know, just because it's more casual, but I'm faster on the computer. And so I didn't want to commit to editing an entire podcast episode on the iPad because that's just going to be a real drag if like I've got computer time, I'm sitting at my computer, but can't edit the podcast there because I started it on the iPad. You know, it's just annoying. What I found is like with any of these like pro workflow things where you're making a video, you're doing something in, in logic, you're you know working on something in Photoshop, it seems rare that you want to do the entire thing on an iPad. I agree. It's like you want to be able to kind of start and stop and like maybe you've you know had a long day and you just kind of want to like chip away at something or you want to work on this one little component on your on your iPad, but then you want to do the rest on the computer or yeah. you want to finish it on the computer. I feel like having support for both computer and iPad and like being able to easily go back and forth is a critical part of any of these pro workflows. Absolutely. I mean, look at my photo workflow. <laughs> it's just just smooth and easy to go back and forth. Yeah. Just like a, your photo exactly. workflow. The hoops that I will jump through just to be able to like do it on both. Yeah. But also on the library. It's <laughs> very important to me. <laughs> so all that to say, having specifically logic on the iPad is really exciting to me because I'll be able to do that where I can start editing something on the computer, switch it to the iPad, switch it back to the computer. That's going to be great. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. And the pricing on Logic is the same as Final Cut Pro. It's $5 a month or $50 a year. I will probably be paying the $5 a month. Do you think that uh, they're going to roll this into Apple One and maybe like bump oh. it by five bucks and now you can get your terabyte of iCloud storage to sync your, your project files for Final Cut and, and Logic and all this stuff? I could see it making sense. Maybe they'll call it Apple One Plus, but then that would get really confusing to phone people. Yeah, that would you. Yep. <laughs> but, Apple made a one plus. <laughs> but I don't. I don't know. I kind of think not, just because I think they still want to draw that pro line, you know, sure. like and and Apple One is like a consumer focused thing. So I could see that maybe offering some sort of bundle deal where you could get both of these softwares for eight dollars a month or something. But we'll see. I guess. Okay. One one more thing on on this topic, which a lot longer than I thought we were going to go on it. But whenever I worked in Final Cut, I would have all these render files, right? So you like bring in your footage and you work on it and it's it's rendering all your effects and everything in the background into ProRes and you would just build up these huge render files. Yeah, yeah, that was a big problem. And w- for a while we were both like, my next computer is going to have to have a four terabyte hard drive just to, just to handle this. Exactly, right? And like different softwares work differently. Resolve doesn't do that, whatever. But whenever you buy an iPad, you know, before DaVinci Resolve and Photo Workflows and Final Cut Pro for iPad, you're not really like, what, what are you storing on it? Right? Like how much space do you need? And I think that a lot of people maybe buy the, you know, if you're really into pro workflows on an iPad, you buy the one terabyte so you can get the 16 gigs of Ram, uh, which I considered, but didn't do. And, but otherwise, like if you don't need the Ram, you probably don't need all that storage. So most people with their M2, M1 pros probably only have like 256. That's what we have. Yeah. Maybe, maybe 512. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, is Final Cut Pro for the iPad 
doing something else? Are they are they rendering their ProRes like ProRes LT or ProRes Proxy? I mean, they're probably not doing it down to H.264 or H.264 because that would be have, it'd be way way too much overhead. But are they are they doing that, or have they figured out another way to handle their processing engine and those render files so it doesn't create these huge you yeah. know chunks of file on your disk? You would think there has to be a better way to do it because Resolve seems to be able to do it with very little disk footprint. Yeah, so I'm curious to see how that works and whether or not that's a like a barrier for people who want to try this out on their iPad and then realize that they can't really edit anything but iPhone footage because yeah. it it's too big. I think that's a good point. And then the other piece is how is it going to work? So when I'm working on Resolve on my iPad, I can just say like, here's a folder. This is where the the file the files are for my project, and it's just in a in a file location on my on my iPad, and I can like copy them out and whatever. And it works. And with Final Cut, like you can say you know work on these files in their location or bring them into the library, and then you have the you know your your library package on iOS geez, on Mac OS, and you can like show package contents and like find your footage and the original footage folder yeah. inside the thing. It's just like a bundle. But are they gonna force you into a bundle? And like keep all of your footage in the Final Cut app on the iPad where you can't find it slash get to it in the files app. And if so, like then you have to export this bundle to bring into Final Cut on your computer, yeah. open up on the computer. So I'm like, I'm curious how all this is going to work because those render files exist inside that bundle. And then plus the footage, you know, are we talking, you know, here's a 200 gig file that I've generated on my iPad that I now need to bring over. Do I have to yeah. pull in render cache first? And I guess like the iPad is not, they're on USB-C, USB 3.1, right? I think that's right, but it's still a big problem. I mean, like that, I don't want to have to sync that. Can you imagine airdropping it? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I mean, I think it's going to have, it's going to factor into that whole story about like, how does the computer integration work? Is there multi, you know, cloud support, multi-user support and all that? Because I mean, the way Resolve handles that is with that path mapping dialogue. Mm-hmm. Where whatever machine you're on, you can say these are where the files are. Yep. And I think that's kind of what you can do right now with if you don't store files in the bundle. They're basically pointing to a disk location. Yep. And then I mean, I think theoretically you could you could copy that library to two different computers and as long as they both have those files in mm-hmm. those locations, it would work. And so I wouldn't assume that it has to be like everything's in a bundle. I, I could imagine them supporting that external file thing. And then, you know, you just have one copy of your files on your iPad, one copy on your computer. We'll just have to see how it works. But it kind of lends to we haven't seen a lot of movement on Final Cut. And then like all of a sudden here's this yeah. iPad version. It's like maybe that's what they've been working all this time. It's like here's the iPad version. But then like maybe we made our render engine better so that like we're not having to render everything into 42, only the little bits that we need. And so that's reducing the file sizes. And then that way we can sync all this stuff. And like maybe there's this like this huge back-end improvement that they did i don't know yeah or maybe it's terrible we're just gonna have to see i mean i'm absolutely gonna try it Mm -hmm. i'm really excited about it i mean one of the things that i think is most interesting is that they've announced this now this is you know as we record this it's may 9th Mm -hmm. wwdc which is their big developer conference every year is in early june i think it's like june 6th june 4th something like that and i mean that's a month away this is a pretty big announcement i mean this is something that a lot of people care about some people have wanted for a long time it's really surprising to me that they've announced this now and they didn't save it for that presentation because it just feels like the kind of thing that they would normally announce there. And so that makes me wonder what's coming in June. And maybe it's totally unrelated. Maybe they have other stuff that they think is going to fill that whole time. But it does kind of make you wonder if this is kind of like a pre-announcement. They're going to let all the press about that kind of get out. But then maybe there's more coming and maybe like some of the details that we're bringing up, maybe those are exciting things too. Yeah, like they don't want the season, they don't want this to get buried, and so they're they're getting it out ahead of it, and then they're going to announce whatever they're going to yeah. announce at WWDC. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's because it's kind of like if they have more, if there is stuff like render engine improvements and all that, it's kind of like they can hit the news cycle twice mm-hmm. because they've announced some now, but then they can get that later. So we'll see. Is this episode going to come out before FCP comes out? I think so. Yeah. Okay. I think this will come out before then. Just curious. Man, do we even have time to talk about anything else, Daniel? I, I think this is the iPad Spectacular. That's it. iPad Spectacular. <laughs> Here we are. If you're using an iPad and you're a video editor, photo editor, or podcast editor, this episode is you for you. iPad podcast. <laughs> iPad gear podcast? Anyways, whatever. Yeah. That's it. We're done. We are, we are all iPad power users today. <laughs> That's it for the show today. Thanks for listening, and we'd encourage you to rate the show on iTunes and tell a friend, but only if you enjoyed it. You can find out more about us on our website at cameragearpodcast.com. We'll be back with more next week.